Well, good morning, church, and happy new year. All right. I, th- I think it's just because we're just sad about UT, right? That's, that's too soon. I mean, I, come on. Like, I, I am sad about that. Um, name is Brandon Ziski, the lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. Our heartbeat, if you are new or visiting us this morning, is to be a church that's simply about Jesus. Because we believe that when you encounter him, when you confront him, it changes everything in your life. And that's why we strive as a church to help others to meet, know, and follow Jesus. That is our passion. That's what we desire to be about. And um, I know for some of you, you might be like, you know, churches, usually in the beginning of the year, they got to do this like New Year series. And yes, that's kind of what we're going to do a little bit because I'm a self-proclaimed New Year's Eve junkie. Like right around October, I'm like, wait, I am going to make new decisions, not now. I'm going to wait to January 1st, and then I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to blow it by the second week and have to wait for 2025. Like, there's just something about the new year that I absolutely love of a fresh start, a recalibrating of our hearts and our minds. And I believe, too, that that's something that is important for us as a church to be doing as well as a family. And so I know some of you like this setup, and there are some of you who hate this setup, okay? And my hunch is if you're probably in the back, you're probably the ones who really don't like this setup. And if you're in the front, you're like, yes, extrovert, this is awesome, right? Like I I struggle with this setup just to be letting you know. Um, But I love it because there's something unique about it. And so I asked our facilities and our worship, uh, Becca, if, hey, can, can we keep it this way just for two more Sundays? Because this Sunday and next Sunday, I wanted it to be more of a family-style message. And this feels very familial, right? Like this feels like we're a family, like we're together. And um, I don't know about you and your family, but when I meet with my family, it's awkward, okay? And so this feels awkward, but it's good. And so at least that's just me. But we're going to have a family kind of rallying these two weeks as we look forward into 2024 as to what God is going to do in our hearts and what he's asking us to walk into as a church. And so this Sunday, this morning, we're going to talk about what I believe is something that God wants us to emphasize as a church, And this message that we're going to talk about this morning, it's important, it's always important, and it's always vital. But I believe that this is something that the Lord is asking us as a church to to fan into flame in 2024. And next Sunday, we're going to do something that's a little bit different in, in terms of the content of what we're going to speak on. We're going to be teaching you good Bible study methods and how to pray effectively because we want to prepare our hearts for the upcoming series that we're going to start on January 21st as we begin to study the book of Revelation. And let me just say this so that way you can kind of like get the weird out of your mind. We're not preaching on Revelation because we believe the end of the world is going to happen in 2024. That's not why we're doing it. Possible. We don't know. But we're doing it because we believe it's important for us as a church to see what is unseen and allow that to be part of the reality of how we live in the here and now. Okay, so that's what we're going to be attempting. So before we get into the topic this morning, I want to encourage you, stand with me, and we're going to read God's Word. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you 
Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to start in verse 35. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a little while, the coming one will come, will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by it, our ancestors won God's approval. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Lord, we humbly come before you this morning, before your word. Lord, and we know that faith comes from hearing. And we know that faith is a gift of grace that you've given us. Lord, I pray that we, you would stir in us the ability to lay hold of that. Lord, I pray that by hearing your word this morning, that faith would increase, that faith would be strengthened. God, I pray that you would challenge our hearts. You would encourage our hearts, Lord, that you would begin to prepare us for what it is that you are doing in this church. And Lord, we want your son Jesus to be lifted high. We want people to see the magnificence and the beauty and the splendor of your son. We want to see people who are lost and far from you come home. We want to see our loved ones understand what it is to move from death to life. We want your kingdom here, Lord. So I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. In Christ's name, amen. You can take a seat. Does anybody um, remember this magic eye? Like, like I know if you, like, if you weren't born, whoo, there's communion cups on the floor. That could be really fun for those in the front row to see. If you weren't born... In the, before the 90s, you have no clue, okay? Like, this was all the, this was the rage. Is that a word you use anymore? This was all the rage in the 90s. Like, you couldn't get away from it. It was everywhere. And the premise of this magic eye phenomenon is that if you stare, or somehow, in some way, some form, you look at this chaotic mess of color, you'll be able to see something right? And it's just like, and I'm just telling you right now, if you're the type of person that already sees what's here, you're like, oh yeah, it's that. I'm going to be like, just don't speak, okay? I, to this day, have never, ever, ever been able to see anything in this, and I believe it's a great delusion, okay? And so if you, you believe in this, you are lying, okay? But nonetheless, like, I remember walking through the mall. Like, I don't know if you remember this. If you went through, like, past, like, a Barnes and Noble or whatever, like, these books were everywhere. And, like, I remember walking past them one time. There was a poster of one, and it said, try it out. And, of course, as you're seeing people walk past, they're always going to it. And, there, and like, some people are like, oh, it's this. And then there's some people who are like, you know, staring at it. And I was really amused. And so I, when the coast was clear, I was like, I want to try this. 
And there was instructions that were there, and the instructions are absolutely ridiculous. They're like, try this out if you can't happen to see it within the first 15 seconds. And what they say to do to start out was, put your nose right up to it, right? So like in a public setting, you're like, okay, no one's there. You know, you just put it right there, and it's just like, and slowly move back. Try to look beyond the picture, and then you'll start to see some squares, and when you see some squares, back on up a little bit more, and then you'll see four squares, and then back up a little more, and then you'll see three, and then just look. And over time, it will appear to you, and then you'll be able to see a new way to look at the world. All it did for me is made me look stupid. <laughs> like, it's it, so like, like, Thousands and millions of these books were sold. And, and I love the tagline. It's, it, there's just something fascinating about this tagline. It says, a new way of looking at the world. And so growing up like this, my dad was one who could always, always see it right away. And I remember one time we were looking at one, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I don't see it. He's like, what? How do you not see it? And then he looked at it, and he goes, oh, it's an elephant. And I went, what are you talking about? That's not there. You're just making that up to just irritate me. I know that's what you're doing. How can you say you saw an elephant when all I see is this chaotic mess of color? Like what proof do you have that you actually see this and that you're not lying to me? Show me the evidence. Well, how can they show you the evidence of what they're seeing? What is the evidence? Well, I saw it. So therefore, it's true. That is faith. That is biblical faith. And that's why I love this illustration is because sometimes it's so hard for us to understand what faith is. Because, yes, seeing is actually the evidence of our faith. Faith is the reality of things hoped for. It's the proof or the evidence of things unseen. Well, how can you say it's real? I see it, but I don't. Well, it doesn't make it not real. It just means you don't see it. And that's what we have to understand this morning. There's a fascinating verse in Scripture that we just read that I believe if we were to take the time and to like dissect it and allow that verse to read our hearts and to start to go, how do I see faith? How do I understand faith? How does what I believe affect how I live? Like this verse can radically change how we live. It is so incredibly important. In fact, that's why this author of the letter of Hebrews wrote this. He was like, listen, you guys, you have to understand the importance of faith. And the reason why I started us back in chapter 10 is because of how he starts verse 11. Now faith. And if we were to understand like how to study scriptures, you can't just read verse 1 in isolation. That word now means that he's connecting something previous to what he's about to say. It's just like that thing, therefore, like BJ said last, last week, like when you see therefore, try to figure out or understand what it's Therefore, yeah, you don't need next week. You're good, right? Like, but it's the same thing. It's like now that we went through something. But it's not so much a theological treatise that he's trying to make the connection. 
Even though he's done that, in chapters 1 through 10 of Hebrews, he's talking about the beauty and splendor of Jesus and how he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and how he is one that's greater than Moses and how he is now the high priest. And and it's just this beautiful, absolutely marvelous theology. But the context of Hebrews is that this author is writing to a church that is facing pretty significant persecution and cultural pressure to give up their faith. And that's why we started in verse, uh, verse 35 of chapter 10. But I want to back up a little bit more to verse 32. And he says to these churches, remember the earlier days. Like, remember when you first started walking in the faith. Remember that. Remember how that was when you first saw the elephant pop out at you. I won't use elephants anymore in that connection because that's just weird. Remember the earlier days when after you've been enlightened, after you've seen it, after God's truth and beauty was revealed to you, remember how then you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Like that, that's key. They're facing difficulty. And he's saying like, early on, when you had the revelation, when you saw what is unseen, and you understood that as reality, you you took that as joy, and you endured in the midst of the sufferings that you were facing. Sometimes you were even publicly exposed. You were dragged out to taunts and afflictions. And other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. In other words, speaking of people who are falsely imprisoned. For he says, you sympathize with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and an enduring possession. You know that you're living for something far greater than any material thing. Your heart has been set on the things above, and your mind's been set on the things above, and you were okay with them taking away your home and your business because you knew that you were suffering, sharing in the sufferings of Christ, and you took it with joy. Remember that. So don't throw away your confidence. He says, don't throw it away. Even now, it's hard. And it's going to get worse. It's going to get harder. Don't throw it away. And this word confidence is connected to the word faith. Don't do it. It has a great reward. You have to see what is unseen. You need faith to be able to be anchored in order to endure and to go through all of these things. Look at verse 36, for you need endurance. Like that's him saying, hey, church, believers, lovers of Jesus, it's not going to be easy. Let me just burst that bubble. It's going to be hard. Those who tell you that if you give your life to Jesus and everything's going to be great and you're going to get all of the blessings and all the health and all the wealth and all of the things, they're lying to you. Because Jesus even said that blessed are you if you're persecuted. And Paul even says, like, if you're going to walk in faith, like, you you ought to be aware that you're going to face persecution. You need endurance. And the only way to endure is by faith. And this faith is not whimsical. 
It's not magical. It's not wishy-washy. It's not I think it is. Biblical faith is absolute, resolute certainty. I see it. Well, I don't. Keep leaning in. Beautiful. Because now he says, and yet in a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Jesus is coming back. That's a fact. But my righteous one, in other words, those who believe in Jesus, who by grace through faith are saved, the righteous ones will live by faith. And if he draws back, if he shrinks back, if he takes his foot off the pedal, if they kind of turn the other way and just kind of like take things easy, I have no pleasure in him, which is we're going to see in a connection in verse 6 of chapter 11 that it's only by faith that we can please God. But we are not of those who draw back. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and are saved. Now faith. Verse 1 of chapter 11. He's making this connection. He's encouraging them in the midst of all of the cultural pressure that's coming, the persecution, the ridicule, the insults, even losing things, even physical pain, and yes, sometimes death. Don't throw away your faith. If your life ends here for the sake of your faith, there's an eternal reward. Keep your eyes on that. Faith is a call for endurance. It's a call for perseverance. Because the ultimate call of following Jesus, right, is it not to be like Jesus? And if we were to try as best as we could to like summarize the life of Jesus, could it not be said that his life was one of like sacrifice and of joy and loving others with great joy, even if it was his enemies? He loved his enemies. He told us to pray for our enemies. How can you do that if you don't have faith? Like if hardship starts to come upon you, if you don't have faith and believe with certainty that Jesus is real and this gospel is real and that he's coming back, why would you risk losing all these things and going through all these things if he's not? That's why he says, we are not of those who shrink back but are those who have faith. You did it with joy before, you can do it again, is what he's saying. Here's why I needed to start in chapter 10. And I don't want to be dramatic, but I want to be a realist. Because when I look back at the, well, whatever, you're going to go there. When we went through the last election cycle, I felt convicted as a pastor that we didn't do a good enough job of discipling our church and preparing our church well enough for that season. And I'm looking ahead at 2024, and I'm looking at all of the things that are going to happen in our culture. There will be an election, but also all the things that might happen culturally, but maybe not just culturally, maybe even in my own family. And looking at all those things, and I'm asking myself the question, like, how will I live? What will I set my heart on? What will I set my mind on? Will I live by faith or not? I mean, friends, like, culturally speaking, there is a cultural war 
going on. We are seeing more and more and more evil increasing all the more. We're seeing more and more and more truth being traded away for lies. And this is all biblical. We're told this is going to happen. We have an enemy who absolutely hates God. He hates us because we love God and he's going to come at the church and we know that persecution is going to come upon the church. And I'm not making any kind of predictions, but I'm just saying you're going to need endurance. What are you going to do? That's what he's saying. It's like, this is why this matters. It's like, don't throw away the confidence you had at once. Before back then, you were willing to take on the suffering, the ridicule, the loss of all things. Don't throw it away. You're going to need endurance. My righteous ones will not back off. They will not shrink back. They're going to continue to do the will of God until he comes again. And friends, if I were to say the general will of God, it's this. Make disciples. Make disciples. Let God witness the truth of who he is through your life this year. And the only way for you to do that is by faith. What matters most in 2024? So let's talk about faith for a moment. I want us to understand what faith is and what faith isn't. Now, when I say this, it's like I, I've been definitely <laughs> like one who has in my journey of following Jesus fallen into the traps of like misunderstanding what faith is and always being wooed back by the Holy Spirit to remind me what, what, what faith isn't, wooed back to what faith is. And so this is an important notion for us to understand. When we look at this verse in verse 1, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for. There are so many important words in that little saying right there. Faith, reality, hoped for, if we were to continue on, proof, not seen, like, like in, in biblical language, like a lot of times when we have all of these weighty words, it's so overwhelming that we can easily just go, let's keep reading. But you, you need to slow down and try to understand this. And I want to like just share with you the Greek word here of this word reality. And the Greek word is, is actually, it's called hypostasis. I want you to say it with me for my own amusement. Hypostasis. Come on. That's just a fun word. And this word in the Greek, it, it, the Greek language it can have multiple connotations attached to it, where our English language has a hard time trying to like, pick one word to give it its, its meaning. And so different translations will have different words. And I actually like the CSB's translation of the word reality, but in its most wooden sense, and like its most like literal translation of the Greek, it's the word substance. And when you think of the word substance, right, like, like, man, this has substance, which talks about like something like tangible, material, or even like weighty. This, this has substance. Like this, this is a hard concept because you're like, well, wait, wait, wait. Isn't like faith something you don't see? So how can you say it, it has something real about it? But if we were to continue to unpack this definition of this word, it starts to say things like assurance, 
Faith is the assurance or the confidence, the conviction. It's something resolute and absolutely certain. It's that word substance. It's weighty. It's reality. And that this word, when we grab hold of it, it tells us that faith is actually a rather dynamic thing. It's not a static thing. You can't say you have faith and be complacent. Like, the Bible doesn't give us any room for that because our faith is rooted in a relationship with the living God who spoke things into being. And when we have faith, there's real tangible substance to that. That's, that's a hard challenge. So how do I live by faith? Like, what does my faith look like? Now, as we continue, I want to give us three things as to what faith is not. Because I want our church to have these misunderstandings eradicated from our fabric. And I don't, I'm not saying that you guys have it, but I'm just saying, like, I know it's tempting to think this way. The first misunderstanding of faith is that faith is, is magical or that it's really cloaked in self-desire. Now, what I'm hinting at with this one is kind of the, the, the evil doctrine and I'm going to call it that, of health and wealth. God wants to bless, so I'm going to ask for material blessing, and God wants us all to be healthy. So I'm going to ask, but yes, like God's desire is to bless, and God's desire is for those things, but a lot of times when we do that, it's just cloaked in selfish desire. And that's just like, I'm loving myself. But not only that, it also then starts to kind of shift the object of our faith where it's no longer faith in God. It's actually now being placed in faith in my faith as my faith in my faith is put in, trying to be put in God. Speak the word. You've got to claim it. Speak it into existence. If it didn't happen, you want to know why it didn't happen? It's not because God said no. It's because you didn't have enough faith. You didn't believe hard enough. You didn't do enough. You didn't give enough. And we start to think there's a formula. If I do X, Y, and Z, then God will do X, Y, and Z. That's not it. God's not a genie. Yes, it's true. Every good and perfect gift comes from heaven. God desires to give good things to his children, of course. But oftentimes what he gives us is not always what we want, when we want, or how we want it. He will always do it. Guaranteed. And sometimes we get those good things here on this side of eternity, but other times it's for later. God knows what is best. He's omniscient. But this whole notion of like, man, no, I got to sow a seed of faith. Why? So I can have. Not so much so that others can see Jesus. I call this the Wizard of Oz faith. Because it makes me always think of Dorothy in the, okay, if I just wear these slippers and if I click my heels three times and I say, there's no place like home, there's no place like home, there's no place like home, it's going to work. I don't know if you've ever been told that something didn't happen in your life because you didn't have enough faith. I'm sorry that that has wounded you, that it may have caused you to drift a little bit. Now, there are times where, yes, 
God does things according to our faith for sure, but it's never going to be in the realm of guilt or condemnation to make you feel less than. That's not it. So faith isn't magical, nor is faith just a doctrinal belief alone, right? Faith is not just a set of beliefs. Doctrine's important. Theology is absolutely important. We have to have that because we should live off of a presupposition of beliefs that come from the truth, 100%. But it doesn't just end there. And that's a lot of times what ends up happening is we just think Christianity is just a way of belief. And so I'm going to study, I'm going to study, I'm going to study, I'm going to study. But the Bible actually says that if you don't actually act out what you believe, you really don't have faith. And so it's so much more than just knowing doctrine. It's so much more than just having good theology. In fact, Jesus even pushed hard on the Pharisees. They knew the scripture. They had that thing memorized. And he said, listen, you all diligently study the scriptures, but you've missed it. That's like saying, like, I looked and memorized every little design in all of these books, and I've never seen it but I know it, and I can tell you what it's supposed to be. Like, that's, that, that's not it. In fact, we see in the James, James chapter 2, I always find this passage very convicting. James chapter 2, verse 8. He, he's pushing against people in the church who, verse 18, I'm sorry, who are pushing against him and they're teaching, saying, like, no, you can just believe and you can do what you want. And he's speaking specifically about, like, loving other people who are lessened or marginalized. And he's like, listen, someone will say, you have faith, great, and I have works. Well, show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by works. He's like, come on, let's, let's go for that challenge. Because I know I'm going to win. And all of a sudden he goes on. He's like, listen, you believe that God is one. Good, great. Even the demons believe, and they should shudder. This, this is, I'm going I'm to share this thing. I'm going to say it a few times. Is that faith isn't just believing in God. A lot of people believe in God. Demons believe in God. Biblical faith is believing God. Total difference. Believing God means everything he says is truth and matters. Believing in God is just like, yeah, I believe in a higher power. Yeah, I know, like, I'm not an atheist. I don't think just things are going, poof, it happens. Like, there has to be something. I mean, there's a lot of Christians, I would say cultural Christians, who just believe in God, and you look at their life, and you don't see much difference. Like, we have to go, how does my faith move me into acts? Because belief has to determine behavior. Doctrine has to be set up with like actions. Orthodoxy has to be partnered with orthopraxy. Like these things have to be together. They're not separate. So it's more than just belief. And you can't like deceive yourself and just thinking just because I have scripture memorized and I do my Bible study and I do all these things that you're walking in the faith. You have to ask yourself, how is my life being a witness for God? And the last 
thing I, we need to eradicate when it comes to faith is that faith is not a leap of faith. Faith is not blind. You can thank Indiana Jones for this one. It's not, because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of what is unseen, right? So it, it's not blind. It's not a leap. Like, it's not that part in Indiana Jones where he comes out of an area, and there's this gap, and, and like, he has his dad's journal that, like, just says, there's a, there's a bridge here, but you got to take this leap of faith, and, and it'll get you. And it, you, what you see in Indiana Jones is this wrestling match of uncertainty, he hopes it's there, but he doesn't really have the confidence that it actually is there. Faith would say, my hope knows for certain that it's there. And because of that, I'm going to grab that hope, bring it in, and I'm going to trust it. And I'm not going to flinch. I know it's there. He doesn't know. So that's why I'm saying it's not a blind leap of faith because he's not sure. All he has is the motivation that his dad is dying to take that risk. That's not the same thing. Faith is more like repelling, okay? Hang with me. How many of you have ever repelled? If you haven't done it, do it. It's amazing. It's terrifying. But it's so, so good, especially when you start thinking about how does this connect to faith. When you're repelling, okay, you, you see the distance when you're on top between you and the bottom, you can see and feel the rock around you. You can see and feel the rope, the gear, the carabiners. You can see those who are going to help you. You have even seen those who have gone before you do everything that they tell you to do, and they've trusted in it, and they've leaned back and went down and are now able to witness about it. So, in fact, you have the evidence that their way and the method of leaning back and trusting works. That's proof. That's substance. You can see it. You can touch it. You can hear it. But where the rubber hits the road is what will you do? Will you actually trust in that proof? That's the difference. Will you trust in that proof? Or we can even take it more personal. Like, do you even have the desire to do it? Do you even have the desire to want to? And so many people, when it comes to disbelief and not believing God and trying to say, God, it's your fault. You didn't give me enough proof. You didn't show yourself enough. Honestly, if you were to kind of like dig into that, you will discover that it's usually they, they know, they've seen things. It's either A, not enough for them, or B, they just don't trust it for them, or C, they just don't want to. Like, that's what we have to understand. It's not a leap of faith. Well, what about creation? How do we know? Well, we, we have that answer. And there's like, we know that the world was created by God. Let me burst your bubble. Every single human, whoever's breathed the breath of life, lives by faith. Every single human. Atheist, secular, naturalist, it doesn't matter. No one was there at the beginning. Well, how do you know? I just know. Everybody has that answer. So you got to weigh the evidence. Well, which one seems to be more true? <laughs> I remember reading a quote from 
R.C. Sproul in his dialogue with Dr. Carl Sagan, who is the astronomer who just passed away, this great astrophysicist, and they were talking about the Big Bang Theory, right? And he was saying, like, through the recent scientific apparatuses, they can now go back all the way to a nanosecond of the moment of when the Big Bang happened, and R.C. Sproul replied back to him, he's like, well, let's go, let's go back before that. Let's go back a nanosecond before that, like what was there in your judgment before this explosion? Because you said there was a complete concentration of all matter and all energy into this infinitesimal point of singularity at a point that had been in a state of organization and inertia for eternity because it's big words, it's got to be true, but which suddenly decided to blow up. I want to know who moved it. I, I, like who did it? I want to know what outside force perturbed its inertia, Carl Sagan replied, well, you can't go there, and we don't need to go there. To which R.C. Sproul said, yes, you do need to go there. Because if you assume that the Big Bang happened gratuitously, meaning like just randomly, you're talking about magic, not science. Everybody lives by faith. So I don't see it as a leap, a blind leap of faith. It's an issue of trust. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. They refuse to bow to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar gets furious. and He's like, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace unless you bow and worship me. And they're like, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, let it be known to you that we'll never do this. Go ahead. You can throw us in there. Our God can save us if he wants to. Does that feel wishy-washy? Is he, are they like, well, I hope he does? I mean, that's a resolute certainty. He can. I'm not, I'm not questioning his ability. He can. I know he can. I just don't know if he will. And if he doesn't, great. Gain for me. Gain for our crew. We're going to be with him in eternity. Either way, you lose. What about King David and Goliath? Like, here's another one. Here's this young teenager, 16, 17 years old, shows up to the battle lines, and this huge monster of a man is taunting the armies of Israel, slandering the name of God, and nobody's doing a thing. And this young punk shows up. He says, is anybody hearing this? Will anybody deal with this? And he goes up to Saul. He's like, hey, don't let anybody be afraid, for God will hand them over to me. I, I, I got this because he has me. And I know that because he saved me from the bear. He saved me from the lion. I know God is the God of all living armies. I know he's the living God and he doesn't want his name profaned. Like he, I know God created all things. I, the heavens declare the glory of God. I got this. Was that wishy-washy? Like that's a certainty that substance, that substance led him to run into the battle, take his sling, and knock the giant out. We could go on. So many. Faith is the substance. It's the assurance. It's the resolute confidence. It's not the I hope it is, wishy-washy. I got to say the right things. I got to do it more. No, because it's not faith in God. It's faith in what God says. And in who God is. That's why I love this word hope. 
Faith is the assurance of the things we hope, of what is hoped for. Let's talk about that hope. What is hope? Hope isn't wishful thinking. It's not this like subjective emotional desire of I hope she likes me. I hope I get that job. I hope the Bears win today. And I hope they don't trade Justin Fields. I hope Gordon Falk doesn't cry in a couple days when Michigan loses. The only one is Wisconsin, Big Ten, just saying. Little. Like, that's not hope. Like, like hope is this absolute certainty of what will be, will happen because of what God said, even though it's not here. And so, like, you ever, like, say this, like, I hope God loves me. Like, when you say that, is there, like, you're maybe just wrestling with it, but, like, do you believe that he loves you? Or are you, like, you're not sure, so now i got to do X, Y, and Z in order to see maybe I can get him to love me. I hope God forgives me. I hope I'm going to heaven. I, I, I hope all of these things. You see, God has given us his word, his promises, and if God says it, it's absolutely certain. So I hope that I will never be separated from him who loves me. That's not a, man, I hope that never happens. I hope that when I blow it today, he doesn't like turn his back on me. No, it's like, I know that's not there. So faith, what faith does is takes that hope, takes that promise, takes those things of substance and grabs it and says, it's reality. It takes a promise of God and makes it certain And the greater faith you have, the greater the hope becomes. And you begin to live out in the promises of God. Like, think about all of these promises that God has given us for a moment. Like, it's just overwhelming. And just just for a starter, like, because Jesus died on the cross, like, let's even go back. Because he came, lived his life in the flesh, died our death, took on our sins, was buried, resurrected, like now we know with certainty that he loves us. That's evidence. Yeah, but you weren't there to see it. I don't need to. I know it is. I see him. I'm bringing that in. That's true. I'm never going to question his love for me. I know. I just have to be reminded sometimes. I got to sometimes get calibrated back. I know. I know that he'll forgive me of all of my sins because he's faithful and he's just. You see, these are truths. You don't have to wonder if it's true. Faith is going to take that promise and say, no, it's true. And as I grab into it, it is now my reality. And the more I live in that reality, the more I understand the joy of God. We are promised that he will always guide us to truth. We are promised that God wants to use us. He has a plan and a purpose that he called us to be his ambassadors. He's promised that he hears our prayers. He's promised that he answers our prayers. So you don't have to hope in the questioning. I don't know, maybe he does, I'm not sure. He does, period. 
trust that it's true. He will shepherd us. He will never leave nor forsake us. All things always work out to the good of those who love him. He's promised that he will comfort us in all of our trials, in all of our troubles. He's promised us that we have every spiritual blessing for life and godliness. He's promised us that we are adopted as sons and daughters. We are in the family. That's not ever going to change. We've been promised that he will finish what he has started. We have promised that he's going to give us, we have a peace that surpasses all understanding that he will supply for all of our needs. He's promised us rest. He's promised us an abundant life. He's promised us freedom. He's promised us security. He's promised that he's going to come back for us. He's promised that he'll give power to the weak, especially when we are really feeling weak. He's promised that nothing ever could separate us from his love. Even your worst sin can't do that. He's promised that the world will never overcome us because we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. He's promised that we're going to be joint heirs, light of the world, salt of world darkness can't touch you no i'm tired so much don't throw away the confidence you had at first because you're going to need endurance by faith is the reality of the things we hope for faith this is why paul reminds us that faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. And the more we read the word of God and hear the word of God, the more we understand of who God is, but also what Peter says is that through him, he's given us these very great and precious promises so that we can participate in the divine. And Paul says in Corinthians that every promise is a yes in Christ. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith has to be in action. It's not just a belief. Because verse, I meant to get through verse six, but we're only on verse one. Verse two tells us that this is what the ancestors were commended for or praised for. And then you get this list that is, we often use heroes of faith. And I don't know about you, when I hear the heroes of faith, I immediately disqualify myself. I'm not them. But then you're like, wait, wait, wait a second, let me read their life. Oh, Abraham was a liar, kind of cheated on his wife. Noah was a drunk, he laid naked after the flood. Uh, We could go down the whole list. None of these guys were exemplars. Faith was a gift, is that they chose to trust it and to live in it. And so everything you see, by faith, they did something. By faith, they did something. By faith, they did something. By faith, they acted. By faith, they acted. By faith, they risked. By faith, they did. And some of these folks received the promises. Some never did. Some got to see children born to them. Others were sawn in half. By faith. Because they saw what was there was of greater reward and satisfaction than anything here powerful. So as we conclude, we're going to move to a time of communion. So I want to encourage you that if you have your communion element or not, someone will pass it to you, but I'm a big fan of ripping the cellophane off before we go through it, because it's loud.
How will you live in 2024? How will you let God witness through your life? I love how verse 6 of chapter 11 kind of like ties a bow on it. And it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe A, he exists and B, he rewards those who seek him. So sometimes it's so important to go back to the fundamentals and just be like, do I believe that the God of the Bible exists? I know some of you might be like, that is so elementary, but think about it. If you say yes, how are you living as if that's true? Do you believe that the God of the Bible exists? Sent Jesus to die for you, to have his body broken for you, his blood shed for you. The next thing we see is that faith involves seeking God. Like, how will you seek him? Those who draw near to him must believe that he exists, but he's also going to reward those who seek him. Why does God invite us to seek him? There's something about desire and hunger and pursuit that matters to the heart. So it's not so much like trying harder, believing harder. It's just like, how are you going to draw near? And, and by the fact that you're going to choose to draw near, already is proclaiming that you have faith that he exists. I love that simplicity. And here's the hardest one. Believe that he will reward you in your seeking. He will. Just maybe not when you want or how you want or in the way. But this is, this, this is, this is a promise which is an absolute certain hope that it, it, it will come. Like, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I, I know God does. And, and so that's what I'm trusting in. And so when we have communion when we take communion like this is kind of like what BJ said last week like fix your eyes on Jesus fix your eyes on him like we have this cloud of witnesses of people who did this you can do it too keep going keep running keep looking because Jesus is the author and the perfecter of your faith look to him look to him and so when we take communion friends we're drawing near we're seeking him. When, when we take the, the wafer, which represents his body, and we drink of the cup, like it represents his blood, like we are by faith saying, this is true. And believe that God's going to reward you. And the way I believe that he oftentimes rewards us like that is with his presence. 
where there's fullness of joy. Just take a moment and just between you and the Lord, just speak to him in whatever way is being stirred up in your heart. If you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, I believe he'll prompt, he'll stir. Follow that, pray into that. In just a moment, we'll take communion together. received from the Lord, I'm passing on to you, that on a night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus, he, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and as often as you drink the cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take together. Lord, I thank you I thank you that the faith you call us to have is the faith of a child. And just even in the moment of the stillness, just hearing a child say, after drinking the cup, it's good. Yes, Lord, it is good. This gospel is so good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, would you strengthen our faith? May you call us as a church to live by faith, to walk by faith, to risk by faith, to give generously by faith, to act courageously by faith, to love by faith, to extend mercy by faith to go on mission by faith, to walk across the street to our neighbor by faith, to pray for those who um, hate us by faith. Lord, I pray that we would not be stagnant, we would not be complacent, but that through us, you would get great glory, that you will testify of your goodness and your grace through our lives. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name.